My name is James, and uh, for those of you who don't, uh, are maybe visiting, maybe on vacation here in this great area, or just new to the church, uh, one of the pastors on staff or senior pastor, Brian, is not here, um, so you're stuck with me, and uh, hopefully you guys won't, uh, won't be disappointed in, in terms of the, the content. We can't be disappointed, because we're going through Jesus' words on Sermon on the Mount, and uh, even people that aren't believers, they know Sermon on the Mount. I mean, they might misquote it a little bit here and there, but it's still a well-known speech, okay? We use the secular terms. Jesus gave a really good speech, and we're going to study that speech. But in the context of the kingdom, this is what it becomes. Our king has a manifesto, to borrow from MacArthur, a manifesto that went forth for his kingdom people to live by. And in this sermon, he's basically telling us, his sons and daughters, members of that kingdom, this is how you are to live. This is how you are to understand the precious word of God that was given through Moses. That isn't null and void. No, quite the contrary. Jesus came on the scene and fulfilled. In his own words, he said, I haven't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill every single part of it, really. And um, so he, as our king, um, even a, a great king that he is, he has every right to tell us how we are to live, correct? If you're a member of the kingdom, you go by what the king wants. Praise the Lord, our king is a righteous father. He isn't just wanting subjects. He's wanting children. He's wanting family members. He's wanting those of us who know him to grow in the knowledge and grace of Jesus so that we might reflect him in his perfection, that we might be perfect as he is perfect. Not saying you're gonna do everything right, but that there's a willingness in your heart to look at the king and say, king, I wanna be like you because you're my father and I want the DNA passed to me so I can look like you. And thus, the nations, whether it's Tibet or San Luis Obispo community or wherever you're from or your family you're with, they're impacted with the reality that there's a righteous king who loves everyone, no matter their sin, no matter their place in life, no matter their socioeconomic position in life. There's a, there's a common source of love for all and forgiveness for all. So if we're, if we're gonna look at this sermon with seriousness in our hearts and our minds and really take the king's words seriously, I want to start at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you'll get your Bibles and turn to Matthew 7, we're going to begin at the end, at least of this sermon from Jesus. Matthew chapter 7. In fact, why don't we, uh, why don't we do this? Why don't we all stand together? I'd like the opportunity to stretch my legs and... I know something about standing, you're at attention. You know, you don't sit at attention. <laughs> you stand at attention, right? So we're going to give attention to the Word of God, and, and we're going to start in uh, verse 24 of chapter 7 of Matthew. Jesus says these words. He says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, which, what are they? But everything that he said before this in Matthew 5 through 7, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, for it was founded upon the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And when the rain descended, the floods came, and the wind blew, beat on that house, it fell. And great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as, having, as one having authority and not as the scribes. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to be wise. 
We want to be loving servants of the king. We want to be your children that reflect your glory, that have um, the DNA of the Father passed on to us, spiritually speaking. Um, Father, in order to have that happen, in order for us to be obedient and actually do the things that we hear you say, God, we need your, the power of your Holy Spirit. And uh, Father, for those of us who've tried to, um, to do it on our own, Lord, we just feel like we've just come to the end of ourselves and like we're beating our heads against the wall with no, with no result that's good. Um, for we recognize, God, that only by your Holy Spirit can we fulfill the things of the law that you give us to fulfill. To live this sermon out, God, it takes your spirit, so we ask for your spirit to illuminate one, illuminate it to our hearts, and then secondly, God, just come in power and allow us to see fruit from spending time in your word in a changed life, in a changed heart, in a changed attitude. And so, Lord, as you would challenge us today through your sermon on the mount, God, we would ask that you'd give us a, a, an appropriate response that goes beyond our own flesh, our own efforts, and into spiritual reality um, for your kingdom, your namesake. Lord, I also want to lift up those who would come with hurting hearts this morning, those with burdens, those with, with just situations where they just don't know where their strength's going to come from. Lord, I pray that you would meet them in, in that place of suffering and that you would be their strength even today. And even, even as we talk about these things of the kingdom, I pray that for them there'd be great comfort and that to, to just be reminded, if nothing else, God, that you're faithful. So we ask it in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen, amen. All right. Okay, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty confident that no one in this room loves somebody else to walk up to them and to their face, look them in the eyes and say, you are a fool. Who, who wants that today? None of us do. We want people to come up, look us in the eyes, and say, you are one of the wisest people I've ever met. How do you get so wise? Um, Jesus would come up and look at our hearts and say, you're a fool when a certain situation exists, and you're wise when another situation exists. It basically comes down to this. You're a fool when you hear my words, when you have the scripture and you read any part of it and you hear it, you're a fool if you look at it and then you just walk away unaffected. You walk away with even a sense of, well, I read that, close the book, I'm on to something else. That would be foolish people. That would be foolish living. But contrary to that, he says, if you hear these words of mine, no matter how young, no matter how old, no matter if, if you're new to Christ or not, if you've been walking with him for years, you're wise if you take these things that he's covering, in particular the Sermon on the Mount, you're wise if you hear them and not just let it be information for information's sake. That's book knowledge, that's head knowledge, that doesn't go necessarily to the heart, which is our destination point we all want, is something needs to change in our intents and our attitudes and our motivations that affect our actions, not the other way around. So that the Sermon on the Mount, for example, we have the opportunity even this morning to cover something I think is very straightforward, very clear. I don't need to spend a lot of time uh, uncovering the mystery of it, Jesus', Jesus words here in this next section. But what it does, it lays before us a challenge to say, when I hear the simple words of Christ, then I am responsible to live it out, at least to the point where I actually desire for God to work that out in my life, knowing that we're going to need him to do any fulfilling of any word that he gives us. So if we don't, we just might as well just shut the book, go home, and just everybody, hey, in this place, be fools together. Be fools together. Why? Why? Because we had the words of life, which the, that monk 
sitting there with a, with a gospel of Luke is, hin- is hinging. He's just soaking every, I can just picture him, just soaking up every single word. That's where we want to be in our Christianity. Not been there, done that, heard that. That's great. That's good. That's good living, Jesus. I agree with that. That's really well said. All those things that we kind of get to and we've been around for a little while, at least as, as far as Christians are concerned, where you've heard it. The fact that God loves you, okay, let's just start here. The fact that God loves you more than, more than if, if you had the best relationship or have the best relationship with your mom or your dad who gave birth, uh, who raised you, provided for all your needs, there was love and abundance, you, you, you were in, empowered by them, you were given great confidence in yourself because they empowered you to believe that God had created you with a purpose and that you were totally capable to live out a life that honored him. You know, you had the best of everything. God loves you more than that. A lot of us, unfortunately, come with backgrounds that say, I, don't, I had a lousy upbringing. Well, how much even greater the news to say, you have a father who loves you even beyond your own faults, beyond your own failures. And some of us, including myself, I'm going to raise my hand first and just say, there's some shame in my past. And it destroys me if I do not take it to the cross of Christ. And if the gospel doesn't apply to my sin, then I am, I am, I am just lost in despair. But you have a father who knows absolutely everything about you. Jesus looks at you, in other words, and sees your heart, your motivations, your intents, all those things we just talked about clearly. As clear as one day he could just lower a sheet in every motivation as well as action, is right there before everyone. And he just says, I forgive. And it's just as if he takes the sheet down of all the record of that and throws it in a fire, bonfire, and just says, where is it? Woman, where's your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. There's, there's, he puts up a new sheet as if this represents your record. Right there, that screen with nothing on it. That's what happens when the blood of Christ covers you as you put your faith in Christ. Tell me that is not impacting enough to give attention to Jesus' words, that he would do that for you. Is that not enough motivation for you to know how happy is the man whose sin has been forgiven? That that should cause us to say, God, whatever you want for my life, whatever direction you want to send me in, whatever words you want to give to me, Whatever things you tell me is best for my life, that's what I want. Because you're the one who made me as white as snow, like that. When everything was just spray paint and stuff that was so hard to get off, I tried and tried to get it off. It was bright crimson red, and you just said, you know what, I died for you. My, my blood was spilled, and now you're white as snow. And one day when you die, or when Jesus comes back and takes us home without that happening, I'm, I'm for one pulling, that, pulling for that. I want that to happen. But let's say you just go to be with the Lord. You will come and Jesus will be your advocate at the right hand of the Father and say, this one's mine. He or she has been sealed with the Holy Spirit when they put their faith in my finished work and my work was totally, completely enough to cover not only their sin but the whole world. Father, this one's mine. It's time for them to enter in the kingdom and everything that goes along with unhindered fellowship with the Father. So that's just your salvation, you guys, that I'm just pointing out for purpose to give rise that whenever you have the word of God with you, 
it's, it's not only good for you to not be a fool, but, but it really is your right response to say, Jesus, help me to live the way you want me to. Because if we don't, we're just fools like everybody else. Probably worse, because we have everything we need to glorify the Father. And if we ignore it, or it just becomes old news, or we just set it on the shelf as like not important, and all of us can be convicted in this way, myself included, if our hearts aren't prompted to find out, first, what do you want? And then, second of all, how do I live it out? Then we're all, we're all just fools. Who wants to be a fool this morning? No one. We want to be wise. So that's why I want to start at chapter 7, is because he's like, hey guys, I gave you a big sermon. <laughs> but every word's important for your life. So turn chapter 5. That being said, we left off last week talking about marriage and divorce. Before that, we had adultery in the heart. Before that, we covered murder in the heart and, and so forth, going back to the beginning of the Beatitudes. Here is a section, like I said, it's, it's, very, um, it's very straightforward. Jesus doesn't have this veiled in a lot of mystery, and we, we pretty much get the point right away. So let's just read it. Again, you've heard it, that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor by the earth, for it's his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. That's pretty straightforward, right? You guys can all make your conclusion on what he's talking about there, right? What is he talking about there? I'll give you the summary. Be faithful. Be faithful. That's, that's Jesus' word today for all of us. Be faithful. The reality, though, is that it's like, great, I know that, but how do I, how do I Jesus, I've had trouble keeping my word. This hit home for me. I shared this first service, but for me, it hit home when I was a, I was going through the Gospels with my mom. We were reading together, and, and I was raised in a home where we knew about God. We didn't know his word. We didn't know the gospel. And um, so when my dad passed away, it was really fertile time for her to grow because I had been a Christian for, I was really mature. I was a Christian for about a year uh, when this happened. And so I was able to go through the gospel with her and explain all the truth in it, you know. This year-old Christian, like, okay, I'll take you through the gospel, Mom, and I'll tell you exactly what it says. Well, we started reading together. And, um, you know, there was, uh, I've seen her take notice of when we're in the Bible together. In my Bible, I have a lot of markings in it. You know, I, 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 I write all over the place. And Brian has the Bible. His, his margins are like that. It's a newer version came out. gives you extra space to write notes. Mine doesn't have that. And then you go so far with, with one Bible, you don't want to get a new one because all your notes are in your old one. And if you get a new one, you're like, where is everything, you know? And I, I've highlighted pages in here. There's, there's Old Testament. I've covered, you know, pretty much uh, a good chunk of this. I got red ink. I guess I got a red pen that day and went crazy. Um, but but if, you're, if your Bible's like mine, here's my Sermon on the Mount. I mean, that's not even my notes. It's just personally just going through it and writing and all this. Well, anyways... When I open my Bible and someone's sitting next, you know, when you open your Bible like in church to read, you're opening it and you're like, good, I'm glad there's markings here. Because everybody that's next to me just looks up, oh, that guy's in the, you know, he's in the word or she's in the word, right? 
We're just like, ah, let me, <laughs> okay. Oh, this is, let me read this again, because any rate, for me, <laughs> sorry, for me, um, with my mom, she's just getting to know the word. I'm, I'm an expert, right? And, and we open the Bible, and here's proof I'm an expert, because my Bible's all marked up. And you're only a serious reader if you have a marked up Bible. The problem is, in that moment, I knew she was noticing, wow, he's read a lot. Or he's processed a lot. He's chewed on this a lot. He's written notes in his margin. That was a foreign concept to us growing up. In the moment, I remember being thoroughly ashamed. Thoroughly ashamed. And sometimes I open my Bible, and I'm, I'm still to this day, I look at the markings wishing they weren't there. Because the simple, straightforward truth is, the highlighting has happened on the page, but I am the first to recognize the fact that I haven't been highlighted in here. And the, and the jump from here and knowledge and highlighting and notes and that's great, Jesus, and I should remember that. I better underline that. I need to circle that. That pertains to this scripture. If it doesn't go to here, I'm just the first one to say, I wish I didn't have any highlighting or any notes in here because that's really what my life looks like in a lot of ways. Do you feel like that? Feel like your, your Bible had no notes in it? It's like you don't want accountability for what you know, right? Well, in this case, he's just saying, here's part of the thing you should circle, but guess what? You're held accountable for it. And if we're going to have a right motive, it starts with this. I want my yes to be yes. How hard is that? It's so hard to let my yes mean what it's supposed to mean. It's so hard to actually be faithful. What does being faithful mean? That's hard stuff, and Jesus knows it. And I wish I didn't have these passages of the Sermon on the Mount, really, because when he brings it to a heart level, it's convicting, and I stand guilty, and there's more just waiting for Jesus to wipe it all clean. But in this case, he says, you've heard that it was said, again, by the Pharisees and the scribes who were leading the people at this time, they had their own system of righteousness. We covered that last week, right? Where they, man, if I shoot for here, then I can make it on my own merit. If I have God's standard, I can't. So there's something in all of us that says, let's reduce it down to an inferior level so then I can feel good like I'm achieving the law. Well, in this case, they were saying something like this. He's saying, but I say to you, if you've, if, or you've heard it said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. Now that in itself is true, Right? It's biblical. There's biblical examples. Deuteronomy 6.13, 6, he says, By this name you shall swear. Jeremiah 4.2 says, The nations shall be blessed because of them keeping their oaths and their pledges. Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not steal from, or uh, you shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by the name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. There's all kinds of examples where he's like, Hey, in, in one of the scriptures we passed during premarital is if you didn't vow with your mouth, you wouldn't be guilty of sin when you don't fulfill it. But now you vow, fulfill it. Don't be slow in fulfilling your vow of the Lord. So Jesus isn't nullifying all that. He's not saying don't make commitments to God. Don't volunteer anything to God. Make sure you keep your life close to your vest and not do anything and step out in faith. He's not saying that at all, even though it would appear that way. So why would Jesus say, hey, guys, uh, you've heard it said, you shall not swear falsely. In other words, keep your word. Uh, but 
shall perform your oaths to the Lord? Why wouldn't he just say yes? That's a good thing. Keep doing that. That's a good theory. It's because of what comes afterwards. He says, but I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven for it's God's throne, nor by earth for it's his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, etc. Um, back then, they didn't have Grecian formulas, so you couldn't still make one hair white or black if you wanted to. Now I guess you can, but you know what it means. Um, but he's basically just saying, I, I'm saying to you, stop swearing. Jesus' word is pretty simple. Stop swearing. Now some of us automatically think, oh man, I said a four-letter word yesterday. Bummer. You know, that's one type of swearing for us, but that's not what he's talking about. Obviously he's talking about something much greater. These guys were making a distinction. Their level of righteousness, as long as I swear with my words in a certain way, then I'm, I have a loophole by which I can actually not fulfill what I promise. So if you say, I swear by earth, then it's not as binding, okay, as if you just say, I swear by the Lord. In the Old Testament, you'll see this a lot, where people will say, uh, let it be done to me ever so severely if I don't mean what I'm saying to you, right? That's the, in other words, let God deal with me with wrath if I don't mean what I'm telling you right now. And so it, what it did, it, it gave extra credence, right, or extra, extra uh, ammunition by which the person would say, well, they must mean what they say because they're invoking God in this. Well, they were throwing out things like, I swear by uh, such and such, uh, such and such, and it had no merit to them at all. It was like, that, oh, I said that? Well, that, that's not to the Lord, so thereby I don't have to do what I said I was going to do. It's not as bad a, a situation, in other words. Guys, we, we could say, oh, how horrible. We do that all the time. If we can find a, a loophole and it's advantageous to us to find it, we're searching, right? I am, I am really, okay, this is my flesh coming out. I'm going to be like Paul saying, this isn't the Lord, this is me. Have you seen that commercial? It talks about, uh, maybe I shouldn't say this in case you guys have taken advantage of this. Okay, if you have, there's mercy. There's a commercial, you guys, that says, I owed the government 150000 I only had to pay 6000 because I used so-and-so a, a, a business. I'm like, what? Is that supposed to make me happy that I paid my taxes and you got out of it? What you owed? I mean, that's, that's like, if there's a loophole to be had, I want to find it, right? If it's, if, it's, if it's up to me. If I get out of paying something or going an extra mile or if it's a little easier for me because I, I did my research and found a nice... Well, I didn't do this, or I really didn't technically say that, or I, I said I might be there, so it's kind of optional at this point. Then we're just playing games with God, and God's, Jesus is just saying here, it doesn't matter what you swear by, it all belongs to God anyways. He hears everything you say, no matter what you say it or how you phrase it, or what you put an extra stamp in uh, relating it to. God's already there. Earth, footstool, God's there. Heaven, that's where he lives. You're not going to do, you know, hair in your head. You belong to God. He created you. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't play games with God. Just do this and you won't go wrong, which is what? When you say you're going to do something or when you give an affirmative or you say yes, then, it's, then that's it. That's all that's needed. Why do we, again, this is not rocket science. You guys understand this. But here's the real, where the rubber meets the road. We feel that tendency, if we've broken trust with people, 
the more we've broken trust with people, the more we feel the, the need to swear by something else besides ourselves, right? You guys know that. If, 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 if you told me, hey, go find somebody in San Luis Obispo, somebody on the street, and give them your kids to watch for a day, I'll tell you you're nuts. Why would I do that? I don't know those people. The more I know someone, the more I trust them, the more I'm going to trust them with things that are, that are most important to me. But that trust happens over a long time, right? I have to develop a record of faithfulness in order for me to be trustworthy. That's why when, when you get in a situation and, and you're, you're thinking, I don't know if this guy or this gal is going to follow through what they said because you have a history of them not, that trust is hard to build up. It takes time. It takes a track record. It takes uh, being faithful to the Lord over the long haul to really have somebody just take your word for it. To actually say, they said yes, that means yes. Isn't that where you want to live? Don't you want to be that kind of person? Jesus doesn't say, hey, I want to convince you of something you're not going to agree with. He's like, we're like, yes and amen, God, make it true for me. Because I don't want to be a person that's not faithful to have my yes be yes, or even in the sense of being led to have a no be no, and sticking with it. Praise the Lord that even though we're all faithless, this is what we looked at last week in our marriages, even though we're faithless, the Bible tells us what? That he is what? Faithful. Why? Because he can't go against his own character. I, he just is faithfulness. So we're looking at a source. God, help my words mean what they should. Help me to work even when it uh, you know, requires perseverance. Even when it foregoes my own desires and my own personal advantageous uh, kind of ins and outs and loopholes. Lord, help me be faithful. That's God's character saying, yeah, I'm going to be there. I'm going to show up for that person because they want to be like me. Jesus is like, say, just do what I do. My yes meant this. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. He said that looking onto the city where he knew he was going to go and die that next week on a cross. When Jesus says, let your yes be yes, and you know we know, he was saying no to temptation. He was saying yes to the wrath of his father. He was saying no to the easy way out. Remember, he was tempted by Satan. He just says, hey, just, just go for it, Jesus. I'll take care of you. Jesus says no. He says no when it means no, and it needs to be no. And he said yes, even though we didn't deserve it, to pay the penalty of the cross for all of us. So that he's the example, but he's also the sustainer for all of us that want to be like him. That even when your yes means I will pay something dearly, that you're willing to do that, knowing that God's going to strengthen you to do it. I'll give you one good example of this, you guys. How crazy is it for, for anyone to pray for a child and not, not, not become pregnant? Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Right there is a hurt that, that is really, in a lot of ways, um, is so, so hard. Abraham prayed, I want a son, I want a son. I, I think he was just walking with God and said, I want a son, I want a son. Hannah's another person. Lord, I'm not pregnant again. You know, the menstruation happens and then it's just evidence for another perseverance type of situation. Some of you know what that means what that's like. But can you imagine being Abraham and saying, okay, now that you've received what you've been longing for for years and had to wait for years, I'm going to test your yes and yes and your no and no. 
Okay, you're going to take your son and you're going to sacrifice him at a mountain. Abraham had to know something in order to do that, right? When Abraham said yes, he actually meant it and was following through with it to the point where his knife was raised over his son. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I look at that scene and I think, I, I'm not there. I'm not there, God. I wouldn't take Mitchell, my oldest son, to a mountain because I heard you clearly say it's time to give him over to me. He, he's, he needs to be in heaven more than earth. It's your job to do that. I would think you're nuts and, and I would not even go there. Abraham, even though he, did, he didn't have a Mitchell in his life for years and years and years, his past childbearing age, so was his wife. They were senior citizens, for crying out loud. They finally get the son of promise, and he's up in his teens. Not just a little kid, but he's, I mean, he's loved this guy. And God says, I want you to do this, and he says yes, and he gets to the point where his knife is raised to make sure that his yes is. How do you get there? How, how does that, that's beyond me. When you, when you ask me to say yes to something I don't want to give up, now you're talking about, I need God for that to happen. Amen? When you ask me to say yes to something I don't want to say yes to, and you're the Father, it takes God's strength in me to do that, to say yes and amen to that. Whether it's moving to some place I've never, you know, I couldn't imagine in, in 100 years that anybody would wake up one morning and say, you know what I need to do today? I need to move to such and such. <laughs> it just doesn't, it's God got to, he's got to lay that in your heart, right? You shouldn't say, hey, Morgan, what do you want to do today? I don't know, I want to go, uh, have a cheeseburger. You're like, I want to move to Tibet. Like, oh, that sounds great. Let's do that. Let's disrupt our whole lives to do that. Let's take our kids out of there, you know, close to people we love. You know, all those things. How do you get to that yes? It needs God's strength to do that. How do you say no to things that are most tempting to you? Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and, and Satan comes up and says, hey, make these stones into bread. I know that's what you want. You want a lot of food. Have you been called to go without for a certain amount of time on anything? Get to the point where somebody offers it, and you know it's not God's will for that to happen. You have to say no. No with the intention of meaning no. Not to find some loophole in the system, but just to say, I know in obedience to God, he's calling me to say no. And most of the time where it's hardest for people is in issues of relationships. This is not good for me to be in this relationship, and yet I've been saying nothing but yes. God is calling me to say no. And it takes the strength of God to do that. Because all that we want in our hearts is to be received and accepted and loved. See, this isn't a small matter. This isn't just like, hey, when you say you're going to pay such and such, pay it. I mean, it can be that. We're talking about the things where God calls you to extend yourself into the area of faith. Faith is a gift from God. That's when you depend on him. Say, God, I can't, I don't want to give this son up. I don't want to give Isaac up. He means too much to me. Please, God, come in power upon my heart. God, I don't want to give my son or daughter to the mission field. It's too hard a thought to me. I can't imagine not being with my grandkids. Those are the things you're saying yes to that, that God wants the yes to be an affirmative yes, to not waver in it. Everybody on the same page? We're all, we're all understanding the, the, the depths of this. We're talking about Jesus wants to get in our hearts and change it. Why? Just so he can see if you'll go a certain direction or not, so God can play games with your life, so he can just have a little fun at your expense to see what you hold on to tightly and hold on not to tightly? No, there's a bigger will at, at, at work that he wants to refine you, make you more like his son, Jesus. And he does that through yeses and noes. He does that through calling you to give up what you don't want to give up and actually to say yes to things that you would even in a million years imagine yourself saying yes to. If, you don't, if, 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 if it hasn't hit you now, I just want to go over one other situation, and we'll end with this, that I think 
in, the, in, the, in, in committing yourself to the Lord, in vowing, in giving an oath to the Lord, if that hasn't been stopped by Jesus, and, and we're still able to take like marriage vows, you know, you say that before God and these witnesses, right? God's really there. He is attending to your word. He is going to keep you accountable to that. But it's really interesting in the concept of us being a family, of us being a body together, of us living life together, of us being arm in arm and supporting each other and edifying each other. Uh, a huge part I think we're missing in the body of Christ, especially in today's day, is accountability. Accountability. And, and so I want you to turn with me real quick to Numbers chapter 30. There's a real interesting passage that, that I, I don't think I given the time of day, if this wasn't the topic at hand and I was given a concordance to look it up. Because I imagine in my devotional reading, uh, when it does happen, that, uh, that I don't think I would have stayed on this scripture and chewed on it very long. But it really has implica- implications in regards to our vows, to our oaths before the Lord, and living in the context of a body. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll just read it for you. You can follow along. Numbers chapter 30. Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. In other words, just be like your father. Or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth, and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself, and her father holds his peace, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. So this gal's a younger gal. She's living with her father still. Can be upper teens, depending on when she... She's obviously not married. She's not, she doesn't change location in her household. Her father's still the, the point person for the family and, and has every right to help her direct her life and speak into her life. And, and it basically says if she vows something... And he doesn't say anything in response to it, like, honey, don't, don't even go there. <laughs> that's, that's foolishness. Don't do that. If he just stays quiet, um, it says she's, she's bound by her oath. Keep going. Verse 5. But if her father overrules her on the day that he hears it, then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand. And the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. Isn't that interesting? If indeed she takes a husband while bound by her vows or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself and her husband hears it and makes no response to her on the day that he hears it, then her vows shall stand and her agreements by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on the day that he hears it, he shall make void her vow which she took in what she uttered with her lips by which she bound herself and the Lord will release her. Also any vow of a widow or divorced woman by which she has bound herself shall stand Against her, if she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by an agreement with an oath, and her husband heard it and made no response to her and did not overrule her, then all her vows shall stand. Every agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. Verse 16, these are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses between a man and his wife, between a father and his daughter in her youth, in her father's house. And you're like, what relevance does this have in my life? Okay, this is the relevance, you guys. Basically what he's saying is the, the young daughter... And put yourself in the situation as you would. The young daughter needs accountability. She needs a covering from the husband, or excuse me, from her father. When she goes to be married, now that that responsibility, that role, goes to the husband, and rightfully so. As the head of the home, 
as, as we're told by Paul, the husband, he is, is led by Jesus himself. Jesus leads the husband. He's supposed to lead his wife in, in ways that are godly and righteous. And the wife's to submit to the husband. Everybody's submitting to one another. At any rate, in this day and age, the wife, like we talked about last week, is very much in a male-dominated society. And her utterances represent the family. And this husband or this father does not want their, um, their intents to be misrepresented, so to speak, or he doesn't want his daughter or his wife uttering something that's bad for her or that will be um, something of a hindrance to her life. So basically God's saying this. He's saying when, when a gal utters a vow, when she's young, she has a covering. When she's old, she has a covering. She's married. Even a diver, divorced and, and widowed. If there's no rise or if there's no conversation saying that's not a good thing, let's not vow that, that's, that's foolishness or whatever, if there's nothing said, then that vow stands. Now, here's the application for all of us, you guys. We need each other because the Bible says in, in, with many counselors, there's much wisdom, right? Meaning that our decisions, if you're trying to hear the Lord and say, um, you're making a decision of any kind, what's your life or next step in life or whatever, um, accountability and wisdom from other people is necessary in your making of decision when you're trying to follow God and make godly decisions. In other words, none of us, none of us stand without the need of a covering, if you will, of the body of Christ. Let me give you an example. Real life here. Um, I am extremely concerned when I hear someone say, this is what I'm making a decision based on one thing, and one thing primarily. This is what the Lord told me to do. I tell you, that concerns me. Why? Not that I doubt. I think I've said this before or something like, not that I doubt that God can speak. He can do that. He can do that through a donkey. He can do that through me. We're pretty much the same anyway. It's not a big thing for him to speak through people. But here's the thing. When we use that and say, this is the decision, I'm answering yes or I'm answering no in this situation based on God told me without, and this is the main agreement, without accountability of the people that you trust as wise counselors around you, the people that have been placed there by God to, to give you feedback on whether or not this decision you're about to make is actually a good one, at least a godly one, then we're missing out on, the, the, on what God's given as a natural covering for one another. Does that make sense? So that somebody who makes rash decisions and says, well, Lord told me so, and that's all there is to it, and then sh basically, in a sense, shuts off anybody's uh, disagreement with that. Like, I don't know. You can't argue or you can't discuss anything that's put in that sense, God told me to. Because how, how do you discuss that as being not right? No, you didn't hear from God? Here's a better way of going about it, and I would encourage all of us to go in this direction. Seek the Lord's voice. His voice is there for us. But do it in the context of the gift that he's given us in mutual accountability. If you're a husband, if you're a wife, it's your husband primarily, and then it goes out from there. Your pastors, your Bible study leaders, your uh, girlfriends that are worshiping the Lord with you, your, your guy friends that you know will give it to you straight, those are gifts from the Lord. And nobody should be this renegade like, well, I'm, I'm hearing from the Lord because you know what? I'm trying my best to follow God, and I don't hear as clearly as you do necessarily, obviously, if you're telling me in, a, in this decision that you heard from God. I didn't hear from God, but I know for a fact that it's probably not that really good for you to go about doing this or saying no to this, okay? 
So my point would be just my, my encouragement to all of us is to let your big decisions, at least your big decisions, be body decisions, in a sense. Not to say you have to live by the whims of everybody that's around you, but at least giving the opportunity for God to speak through the multitude of counselors, which he tells us is much wisdom. Now, you have the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian today, you have the Holy Spirit, and that's great. He is everything we need. I don't add to that. That's, that's true. But the body is a body for a reason. Because if, you're, if your elbow is like, you know, you're walking down the street and all of a sudden your elbow goes like, you know, you're like, what in the world? You know, and they're like, ah, the Lord told me to do this. You know, when I'm walking down, you're like, okay, I'm the hand and I'm getting whiplash, okay? So you need to stop that. Some people really, it's, it's amazing what happens. And really, I think by making an appointment with a pastor, a lot of times when you're yes, you really want it to be a yes. You want a confirmation that, yeah, Lord's saying yes and amen. And you're like, phew, I wanted that answer. If you don't get it, you just dismiss it as them not hearing from the Lord. See, this is a practical for me because I hear it a lot. And unfortunately, I feel for the people that want to run without the council saying yes and amen to it. I don't control your life. Brian doesn't control your life. Your pastors don't control your life. We're just fallible as well. We're trying our best to follow God. We're trying our best to hear the Lord. You guys are too. We're all in this together. So if we all admit that we're deaf, part of hearing, need God to speak clearly, we're in this together. None of us has the monopoly on right, perfect decisions that we can use one another and prayers of the saints in, 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 in times where we get together and just say, guys, I'm wrestling with this. What do you think? Help me to pray. Help me to seek the Lord together. Let's talk about it. And being open really to some honest feedback. Because when we don't and we go through life like this, we're not part of the body. We're just saying, well, God told me so. Praise God if he spoke to you. But I hope that it's true. Because in the Old Testament times, if it's not true, then you were stoned. <laughs> That's pretty heavy stuff, right? God told me is not just a thing we should casually throw out. But in the context of a body, it's just like this. We have a covering where someone says, I'm not saying anything in disagreement because I'm yes and amen with that. And the Lord's like, man, that, that, I'm, that vow, that oath, that word on my be, you know, invoking me is, is valid. Okay? So, with that said, and really bringing it home, and we've got we to end here, um, I, want you, I want to end on this note. It's not all about us going, yeah, yeah, rah, rah, let's all keep our vows. It's not about, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that I follow through on my commitments. So, you know, all those things that we can apply to it, those things are all important. But I want, I want to leave you on this note, a reminder that God wants to ultimately have our yeses be yeses and our noes be noes, to get good counsel, to get good wisdom, to make godly decisions, to have our lives prosper. But more than that, his glory's at stake. His glory's at stake. A lot of people are Christians because somebody loved them with the love of God, but a lot of people are not Christians because we fouled it up somewhere. I'm right there in that camp. There's a lot of things I wish I would have done differently, had in the opportunity to do it differently. Um, I've let a lot of people down that weren't even believers that got a sour taste in their mouth about what it is to be a Christian. And I know his glory is at stake. It doesn't all, I don't want you to go out on guilt trips. But here's the good news of that coin. Here's the flip side of that coin, is God's all about glorifying his name. And if God's all about glorifying his name, he wants to be strong on your behalf so that you do fulfill the vows to the Lord that you make your marriage, being a good employee, being a good employer, being a faithful friend, being a faithful roommate, someone who pays their bills, and, and if they're short the money, they're working extra hard to get it. You know, those kind of things. Those are people that, 
are giving God the glory. And, and the good news is that he wants to glorify himself in those yeses and in those noes. And, and that's what gives me comfort. So in other words, I don't feel this pack of bricks in a backpack now. Okay, I'll live for you more obediently. But actually, Lord, I, I'm at a deficit before we even get this thing started. I want the right answer for one, but I want the power to, to really stick with it and, and, to, and to glorify you ultimately. So if that's your prayer, then, then we're in good company. But let's be a body together and, uh, and let's continue to be faithful to what we've, uh, what we've chosen to do and not do. Sound good? All right. Chris, you want to come up? And we'll close in some worship. Why don't we stand again? We'll pray. If you have some needs or some requests, or basically just feel like, man, Lord, that this Sermon on the Mount is uh, is heavy stuff. I just need prayer uh, to respond appropriately to it. Or, or my love is for the Lord and the gospel has grown a little bit dull. Um, that's what this area over here is for for prayer. Just over there, there's leaders over there. Elders, I'm just waiting to pray with you guys. That's what it's there for. Every Sunday we have it available. So um, if you want prayer, definitely go get prayer as we worship together. But let's worship him out of a heart of gratefulness that when we're faithless, he is faithful because he can't go against his own character. As we worship, let that be what flows out of your heart is just a gratitude that you have a father that you don't have to doubt what his motives are. You don't have to doubt. The yeses are for good measure and the noes are too. You have, a, you have the assurance that says every, he's working together everything in your lives for good. And if you aren't a Christian today, if you don't have God in your life, there's a, there's a whole lot of things we could talk about. But the main thing is you just need to invite him in and say, God, have control. Because I'm making my own yeses and noes right and left, and I'm, making, I'm wreaking havoc in my life. Because it's not God-directed, not God-led. So in that way, you just pray simply, God, forgive me. Be my Lord. Give me a leading in my life that I need and forgive me my sin. And he'll do that. So let's pray. Father God, I just pray right now, even as we worship, that it would be a, a sense that, that we worship a God that doesn't demand better behavior for us to be loved, but you just simply want us to respond appropriately because you're our king. And, and you live this way, and you want us to be like you, and you will empower us to live the way you want us to live. As we're studying the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, it's convicting. It's, it's hard stuff. We, we have a bad track record, but you are faithful. And you are, you are dear to us and you are near to us and you will not leave us hanging because you're true to your name. You want to glorify your name and you're about that. So we trust in you. Uh, we just ask for your blessing. Even now that we would celebrate the finished work of the cross that is, has allowed our, our canvases to be white as snow. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. Even as we bring our tithes and our offerings together, uh, Lord, we just glorify you and their giving. And just thank you that you've given everything for us that we can love you and be loved by you. Jesus.
can't imagine that you would uh, you would have a sheet up so to speak God with just crimson all over it and, uh, looking at all our faithlessness and looking at all of our times where we got it wrong and we were convinced that our yes was supposed to be your will and it was totally the opposite we can feel like failures. We can feel like we're the worst of sinners. We can feel like there's nothing but a sheet up with crimson all over it. And yet, God, when we come to the gospel, uh, that's where our souls find rest and peace again. And that's where our souls find hope. That's where we're able to say, you still love me. That's where we're able to say, Lord, we just, we melt before you in praise, thanksgiving. Because we look at our sheet again in light of the gospel and we realize it's all white. There is no color left to it. Sins that were once crimson are now white as snow. And so with that, with that blank screen representing our past and our sin, and even sin we'll commit in the future, God, we, we thank you that it's been wrapped up in the blood of Jesus. And we give you praise, God, for that. We give you worship for that. We give you honor for that, for being faithful, God, for each one of us. Be glorified in our lives. Help us, Lord, as we as we seek to live lives that are worthy of your calling, that it would glorify you, that we'd be a picture and reflection of our Father. And um, God, we, we know it's uh, not easy, but um, one day we'll, all of our striving will be done, and you will welcome us into your paradise. But again, we'll be there, and we'll just be on our knees thanking you that you made it possible, that we were sinners saved by grace. So we just commit our lives to you and ask, Lord, that you would glorify yourself through us. And uh, Lord, help the highlighted portions of our Bible to be what we see lived out, highlighted in our hearts, God. And we just thank you and we pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have fun fellowshipping this week.